Our BYU TV Deep Blue special is live. I'm your host, Spencer Linton. Wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. Over the next hour, we will introduce all of you, and in many cases, reintroduce you to some of the most inspirational, heartwarming, and uplifting stories within BYU athletics. These stories center on the coaches and athletes and their triumphs often outside the lines of competition. We begin with one of the winningest coaches in NCAA volleyball history, Heather Olmsted, who almost didn't make it into this world. She's frankly a walking miracle due to the sacrifices and love of her parents. Let's go deep blue with Heather Olmsted. I grew up going to the beaches with my dad and we were able to watch really high level volleyball and he was able to coach me. I really just learned a lot about life and doing things you don't want to do. He really gave me self-belief that I could do anything I wanted. That's really been why I've wanted to give that back to others. When you start naming off top coaches, you're naming a bunch of people that are a lot older than she is. She has the highest winning percentage of any coach in history. When she took over, it really hasn't missed a beat. Heather's success at BYU almost didn't happen. Just a normal pregnancy, excited to be expecting my fourth baby. I started with a cough and it concerned the doctor after about three months and we discovered that I had a tumor in my lung. Things were happening so fast. It was like different opinions were happening daily from different doctors and it was just barrage. Each time I'd go up there, there'd be a different diagnosis and a different opinion. It seemed to be fast growing and that they felt that I only had three months to live if nothing was done. And that was just, what? I was advised by doctors that I should abort to save my life. Then the doctor decided to take a final ultrasound scan of the growing fetus. I was awake during that scan, and when I heard one of the doctors say, oh dear, I wondered what they'd found now. But everything changed for me when the doctor said, you are carrying twins. In that moment, I said to myself, the Lord did not allow me to conceive twins only to abort them. I'm gonna deliver the babies. If I die, I die. Believing she had three months to live, they wanted to try to find other options and other people that believed what they did in not aborting the babies. You have to remember that all of this is pre-electronic uh, era. All I remember is it was a Sunday. I went across the street, there was a payphone. I called Dr. Nelson. The doctors here say it's this, they say it's this, that I have to do this, that. And I remember him being, not gruff, but being very firm and saying, young man, do you wanna talk? Or would you like to listen to me? So I listened to him and I just felt comfortable with what what he had to say. Well, I've got the record of my work on her right here, so I'll read it. The date of this operation was June 16th, 1980. This patient, 30 years of age, is pregnant with twins. She's about 16 weeks into her pregnancy. And she had symptoms of cough and shortness of breath, so her obstetrician got a chest X-ray, which revealed a large tumor in the right lung. I operated upon her at their request that the only way that we could remove it surgically was to take out the whole lung. It was complete 
inspiration and revelation on that surgery table that he received to know how to navigate that treacherous surgery. This is the kind of an operation that doesn't happen very often. In fact, one time in my career, when I got down to the very most crucial part of the operation, I found that there wasn't a way I could get the tumor away from the heart. There was only room for the blade of the scissors. So I cut the artery and put my finger in the pulmonary artery. And he said, I put my finger in there and did the surgery with one hand. And then put the stitches around the artery and pulled those up and pulled my finger out and tied them down and she survived. So it ended up not just being about the tumor, it ended up you know, being the journey that our family took. When she gave birth, had many complications. She needed to get blood transfusions, and though through that, she contracted hepatitis C. They didn't know the treatment for it. They didn't know the life expectancy, but they knew it was life-threatening. So I spent a number of years learning how to deal with that, not knowing that someday they would find a treatment. Growing up, our mom always treated Heather and I as miracles and said we were her miracle twins to anyone she met. She is an unbelievable mom to all her, all her seven kids. I think that my mom showed us that we can do hard things, that we can make a decision, stick with it, and see it through to the end, and that we can accomplish and overcome any hard trials that we might have in our life. Can you imagine the courage of that woman when the doctors in California had not been able to remove it surgically and really couldn't help her. She was willing to lay her life on the line for those children. It's a miracle that I'm alive and I'm grateful for the example of my parents and my mom and my dad who've taught me how to love and how to work hard and how to believe and I want to give that to others. I don't think she was saved just for this, but I think this is her mission. Her ability to coach and use what she has seen and learned through her whole life and change the lives and affect the lives of young women. At the end of the 2018 season, um, we were out of the Final Four and they recognized Heather as the National Coach of the Year, which is a really big deal. As a coach, that's the highest award you could get. But the coolest thing about Heather is she doesn't need those accolades to change how she feels about herself or how she continues coaching. What was special is that she asked us to come with her when she was receiving the award because she always tells us that it's a team award and she never made it about herself, but she made it about the team. I can't imagine being at this program without her as our coach. I want the young women on our team to learn never to give up, to always go after what you want throughout their life. They're gonna go through hard things and so we just need to keep pushing one foot in front of the other with faith and we can accomplish many, many things together as a team especially and win and lose and still be kind and loving and be a great example to the community and many people who are watching our team play. An unbelievable story of faith, family, and sacrifice. Heather Olmsted's legacy as a coach does include a Final Four trip, but is still largely being written. BYU women's soccer just wrote their own piece of history with a first-ever trip to the 2021 College Cup and a spot in the national championship match. One of the more remarkable stories within that improbable run is that of goalkeeper Cassidy Smith. 
who had to battle just to make the roster and then battle through multiple serious injuries in her seven-year BYU career to finally earn her starting spot. BYU soccer players were my idols. I would come to camp and I would talk about them nonstop. I had all their player cards, all the posters. They're just big role models for me and I just saw how amazing they were and I just wanted to be like them. Very end of my freshman year of high school, I injured my knee. It took me out for 11 months, had to get surgery, a piece of my femur bone broke off. The period that it happened was right in the prime recruiting period, right, as a sophomore, junior year of high school, and it brought an end to the recruiting. Called my dad, I think he was out of town at the time, and just cried to him. And he said, Cass, if this is what you want, you, like knows just a word. The next day I, I printed out my high school schedule, stapled it to a piece of cardboard, and then I stuck a fork in it. I wrote on the piece of paper, I said, I want to play for BYU so bad I can taste it. I remember receiving that in my office and taking it to my assistant, uh, Chris, who was our goalkeeper coach at the time, and, and just saying, wow, she's she's fighting for this. She doesn't want uh, us to move forward without her. And, and so with that, you know, you always kept it in the back of our, of, of, of our mind of, hey, she's willing to do almost anything uh, to get our attention. I was told no, and then my younger sister, Ellie, they actually offered to Ellie um, a couple months later. And I was so excited for Ellie. She deserved it more than anyone. She's a baller in every sense. But that was hard. I remember just, it was the first taste of just being happy for someone else, right? So I'm going into my senior year. I had almost committed to BYU-Hawaii. That's where my sisters had gone. I remember going to my dad's office and just telling him, I was like, Dad, like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. She came to me and said, uh, Dad, I really want to go to the BYU camp this summer. And I said, Cass, you know, <laughs> that ship has sailed, right? I mean, it was a great, it was a great try and it was uh, a great idea, but they've already recruited for your year. We didn't know she was coming to camp that summer and she did such an unbelievable job that we're like, she's too good not to give her this opportunity. After day three, coaches pulled me aside and offered me a spot. And I went out to the IPF parking lot and called my, my mom and dad. Um, I was in Salt Lake with the other two of her sisters, the triplet sisters at the time when we got the phone call. And we, she was, it was hard to understand what she was saying. She was so excited and emotional, which we all quickly became as well. Still to this day, like the happiest day um, to reach a goal like that, right? Um, and my mom, like, she's like, what's wrong, right? Like, what's injured? What did you do? I go, no, mom, um, I'm going to play for BYU. I redshirted my freshman year, and by the end of that, I tear my labrum, my first labrum. And I didn't know it at first. It just hurt. It was on a shot, and find out two months later that it was torn and I need surgery. That particular injury and surgery is a hard one to recover from because they put you in that big brace and uh, you're not allowed to run for months. It's like six months. You can't even you know, get on a treadmill or jog. And then I come back after nine months. It took me a while to get in the swings. And then three months later, I'm in a spring game against UCLA and block a shot and immediately my shoulder's gone. I remember walking off the field and being like, are you serious? That tear just felt overwhelming that it we couldn't believe that after uh, her nine months and then being cleared for three months, strong, ready to go, 
this happens and she has to start over recovery all over again. Fast forward, I, I mean, I lost the starting spot. I battled for it coming back from that injury and tried my best. Coaches went with a different route. Um, Sabrina was the one that played above me. She's amazing, like one of my best friends. Definitely wasn't easy. It wasn't easy on our relationship for sure, but I'm so grateful for her and what she's taught me. She was a phenomenal goalkeeper. I think the fact that uh, Cass didn't become the number one goalkeeper allowed her to help push Sabrina to, that became uh, you know, a phenomenal goalkeeper for us for her junior and senior year. And then it's allowed Cass to be, you know, I think probably even a better leader. I got two weeks into my spring season after she left and started to feel my shoulder slipping again. And sure enough, um, tore that one after two weeks coming back. And again, I was saying, no way. And so I just decided I was gonna gut it out. I was gonna play and see what my shoulder would give me. Been rehabbing it for a year and a half now, just trying to get the most out of my BYU experience. I wasn't gonna let a shoulder stop me. The girls take good care of Cass and um, and you can kind of tell we're at the point now we can tell when her shoulders popped out and the girls know what to do to try and pop it back in. Cass has learned to live with a lot of pain, um, but she loves the game. She wants to be the best for herself and for her teammates and, and ultimately for the program to, to represent. And uh, she's done a lot in that in that sense. All growing up, these girls, they idolized these, these BYU women's soccer players. Um, they were mentors to them and they looked up to them and and then to find herself in that role uh, she's the one on the posters she's the one uh, where they're reading her quotes and and asking for her her signature and i think for her it's added just a whole other dimension uh, to participating on this team and in this sport just because i'm out for nine months and i can't be playing soccer and doing what i love like doesn't mean my life isn't good that kind of became my mantra through the next seven years was my life is good. And I truly believe that there is good things to find um, in whatever situation we're in. And I found it here at BYU. Cassidy is having surgery to repair her shoulder and knee in the near future and says she's just excited to be a fan as the Cougars seek their first ever national championship. When we come back, meet a super BYU fan with super faith and fortitude, all while his dad coaches on the other sideline. Our Deep Blue Special continues after this. Welcome back to our Deep Blue Special on BYU TV. It's not often we encounter a super fan whose dad coaches against BYU, but when you see and hear the story of Afu Fia Fia, you'll understand. BYU football lifted him up, and now he's lifting all of us in his heroic, faith-driven battle with a life-threatening disease. Man, that big smile, bro, just brought so much light to all of us, bro. We uh, came together as a team and heard your story, and um, you're like a younger brother to us. But even though you're younger than us, you're way more brave and way more stronger than us. Kind of when things started open back up uh, from the pandemic, we kind of threw him into a whole bunch of sports. Football, number one, basketball and track. So he had year round, you know, seasons would overlap. He'd go from one sport to the next. Um, well, I was working out a lot during the summer and like I had personal records that I wanted to break with the lifting. So I would go to the gym with my dad and my brother and we would lift like almost every morning. You know, late July, he started to feel some of his, some, some pain in his lower left calf. 
My kids, where they play a lot of sports, this, that's like a normal thing, you know? And it's like, we kind of go through lists, like, how much did you drink today? Like, how much did you sleep last night? You know, did you stretch? Did you warm up? We kind of go through the normal list of things, and usually they're like, oh, no, I, okay, go drink some more water, or go, you know, take a little nap. So it kind of got more and more serious where he was starting to limp a little bit. And with football season approaching, we kind of thought maybe we should just have him checked out and just make sure, you know, it's not anything that needs to be addressed. So about the third week in July, we had an MRI done, and they called us pretty quickly to come into the office. And it was the day before we were leaving to Greece on a family vacation. And I said, well, can we just come in? We'll be back next week. Can we just, you know, I've got a lot going on. She said, oh, the doctor will wait for you. Why don't you guys head, head right over? The doctor came in and uh, confirmed that it was cancerous. It started in his bone and came out into his muscle and then spread to lymph nodes and other parts of his body, including his lungs. And with it being an aggressive cancer, like a Ewing sarcoma, and how advanced it was, the outcome was not good. Survivability is low, even with chemo, and then also has a high return rate after that, a high chance of it coming back. You don't really know how long he's gonna be here. You don't know if he's gonna live to see his next birthday. You don't know if he's gonna have the opportunities to be able to play high school sports or get married in the temple to have children. You know, those are kind of the thoughts that are rolling in my mind of the future for him. Definitely at the beginning I was thinking, why is all this happening to me? And then I started to have a greater understanding of why this is happening. Maybe it's to bring people closer together and to make me and my family's faith stronger and have a stronger family bond. And My husband, at the beginning of this, there was like a quote that he came across somehow, and he said, you never know how strong you are until you have to be. And it's like crunch time for our family right now. Like it's. It's like, if, if we're not gonna be strong now, then we're never gonna be, you know? And we are determined to get what we need to get out of this experience. We don't want it to be in vain. Like, we don't wanna walk away from this when we were supposed to learn something and we were supposed to act on certain feelings and to, to fall short of that. Like, we, it's our son's life. I could tell he loved that. Just having all the players yell his name. Knowing why he's here, I think it means a lot. I know that he's motivated by things like that. He's, a, he's an athlete, and so seeing all these athletes just rally around him, they don't really know him, but they know a little bit about him. So it was awesome. We haven't really talked about percentages with my family because we know that it doesn't matter if it's a 99% survival rate or if it's a 1% survival rate, I'm gonna be the 1% and I'm gonna beat it. I can't wait for you to get through this battle and through this fight so that I can see you back on the football field and on the basketball court. Like, I'm so proud of him and that he's my son. We'll stand united for you.
Love you. I hope that this is part of his story that he has to tell, you know, years down the road and what shaped him to be who he is. We are so thrilled to report that Afu is making great progress in his ongoing battle with cancer. You see the resilience of not just these individuals, but of their entire families. And that holds true with BYU soccer star Ellie Mon and her family, who weren't sure Ellie would ever play soccer again after a horrific season-ending injury in the spring of 2021. Not only did she come back to play, she excelled in BYU's unforgettable run to the national title match. This is Deep Blue with Ellie Mon. We were at a soccer um, camp once. Well, it was a tryouts for ODP. And afterwards, a couple of parents came over to me and the one dad says to me, we were watching Ellie at, at a break. And then Ellie noticed a girl that was all alone, you know, sitting by herself that hadn't come with anybody. And so Ellie walks over to her and grabs her, talks to her and grabs her bag and brings her over and introduces her to everybody. and. And, you know, that's the kind of person Ellie is. Ellie's work rate, her personality, her, her drive, and her level of competition. She is a true competitor and loves to go out and compete. And that's something that we, we really look for a lot in, in uh, potential athletes. We had a great freshman year. We made it to the Elite Eight. It was awesome to be a part of that. And then COVID hit and we didn't really necessarily know if we were gonna have a season or not. And we were still preparing like we were gonna have a season. We actually started fall camp. We started training like we were. I mean, I was feeling the fittest I've ever felt, the strongest I ever, I've had felt. Scadlock trying to hold off Cameron Tucker. An attempt by Ellie Mon, and she is down and in some significant pain. I went down to the end line, um, I took a touch past my defender and I slid to keep the ball in bounds because I kind of took a long touch and um, it, my ankle just rolled up underneath me. I'm like, oh god, she's rolled her ankle, you know, and she stays down and and then she stays down for a long time and I, you know, Ellie's a tough kid, She's she gets up and plays. I could see that she was hurt. But I really thought she was going to get up. Like, I just kept waiting and kept waiting because, you know, Ellie has gone down a lot, but she always gets up. I remember a tournament when she was probably 12 in Vegas. Um, I mean, her ankle was the size of a grapefruit. And we wrapped it up, and she played and had three goals that tournament. And My ankle just rolled up underneath me, and immediately I knew that it was broken. I mean, I just, I, the way it felt and like how, this is gonna sound bad, but how it sounded, like I just knew that it was season ending. To see your child go through that, that was really hard. And then, um, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, you'll be back by the end of the season. Like, it's not the end of the world. And then Monday came. Not only had she broken her fibula, but she had torn all of the ligaments in her leg and so they um, had told us that had this injury happened 
a few years earlier than that, um, it would be career ending for her because she would never have the stability in that in that leg again. But they said that they were would be able to go in and they tethered the tibia and the fibula together with wires and anchored them down. So with that, they they said you're looking at about six to nine months before you can touch a soccer ball. So I went home for four weeks. I really think I just needed that time to kind of refocus. I was devastated about the injury, obviously, but those four weeks at home really like helped me get back on my feet. The girl that, that played for Weber State that um, was in the collision when Ellie, so Ellie went down for a slide tackle and the girl, I think she kind of threw her off balance a little bit. It wasn't intentional at all. Um, about a week after Ellie was home, there's a knock on the door and she came. They had a good cry together. Um, of course, you know, she's a college athlete and she could see the pain that Ellie was in. Sometimes people don't realize how hard it is mentally uh, and physically on athletes who work and train so hard and then that is taken away from them. You know, that was a really tough injury, uh, tough for our team, obviously tough for Ellie and her family knowing it was going to be a long haul back. As soon as I could really get going on my rehab, it just like gave me a sense of hope that I really can play at a high level again, you know, because when, when you're trying to learn how to move your ankle again and really trying to like learn how to like roll up on your ankle and walk again, it's just like, you feel like, how am I ever gonna play at an elite level if I'm learning how to, you know, roll my ankle or do inversion and eversion, you know, it's just, it's something that, kind of takes away from the reality of the healing. First game of the season comes and it's against Weber State again. There was such a pit in my stomach. Then all of a sudden I look over and she's coming out on the field and um, oh, I was a bundle of nerves. I think I was shaking like a leaf. I actually know the girl that, um, the defender that was on me when I broke my leg and she, I ran out on the field. She gave me a big hug and was just like, hey, I'm happy to see you back out here. And so it was just an all around great moment. So Weber State was exhibition. And then just having Ohio State come on Southfield, the atmosphere was amazing. Ton of fans there. Olivia back in through. A shot and a goal! Ellie Mon! Welcome Mon. back, Ellie Mon with the left foot crushes it. That is a feel good goal for this BYU women's soccer team. And she is hugging her teammates. Oh, did that feel good for Ellie? I just put it away with my left foot and the, the one I broke and it just felt so good. My teammates were so excited for me and I was so excited. Ever since I had broken my leg, I, that's all I thought, thought about, you know, that time where I was gonna score a goal, having that taken away from you and then being back out there contributing, it was just the most amazing feeling. Really exciting for her and for us to see you know, her go in and get a goal and, and the emotion and the excitement that came from that and all the hard work that she had put in. And, and I really believe that Ellie has a lot more goals and a lot more celebrations left in her career. She is a competitive, hardworking soccer player, but she is that person that puts her arm around the, the people that are you know downtrodden and, and lifts them up. She's always got a smile on her face and and, and I love her.
Coming up, BYU Volleyball senior and star Kenzie Kerber finds a new home and new purpose at BYU. What led her to Provo is where the real leap of faith took place. Stay with us. Our Deep Blue special rolls on with All-American volleyball player Kenzie Kerber, who found a new meaning and a new home in Provo, Utah, and took a giant leap of faith while playing for BYU's rival. Bauer pulled to the 10-meter line. Kerber, no problem! Seven kills in the first set for the former youth. My heart hasn't felt this happy in a long time. It's been a hard four years, and the past two and a half years have been great. My first years at college were a little bit rough for me, but past two and a half years have been really a good change for me. Back when I was a junior in high school, I didn't know why I felt like I had to come to Utah, but um, I felt like I had to, and I committed here, and I got here, and it was a great experience. I had a great career up there, but freshman and sophomore year, I was 6'2", same height I am now, but I weighed 130 pounds. I didn't know I had depression until some of these things that happened in my life, and. I ended up having to meet with a psychologist three times a week. I was put on depression medication. I was in such a dark place, I'd just wake up and be like, I don't want to eat today. To just see her so sad, to me, it was the question is, is this really worth it? You know, like, yes, you're getting a great education, you're on scholarship, but it's not worth it if you're having the mental issues that, you know, and problems. When she would feel like depressed or needed to see somebody, she would drive over to my sister's places or her cousins, get a meal, talk to, talk to some of the younger cousins that are more in her age that can relate. After those two years, I'm standing in the mirror and I'm like, I'm rock bottom. Like my life is at an all-time low. I grew up non-denominational Christian, just we went to a little Christian church right in Chino Hills, California, and I knew there was something, I knew, you know, there's God and I knew that Jesus Christ was his son, but I didn't really know, like, I didn't have answers. She just started asking me all these questions and they were like really good questions, like really deep. And I was like, I'm on the spot right now. Like I gotta, I gotta answer these the right way. I had all these questions, but she had answers and she knew, like she had a response to my questions. And I was like, all right, next one. And I'd ask her another one and she'd be like, okay. And she'd have an answer. And I was like, why does she have an answer to everything? She was already really invested from the start. Like her questions were genuine and like, you could tell she just wanted that truth right from the beginning. My aunt had sent me a video where she was like, hey, I want you to watch this video when you have the chance. So I'm watching this video and it's not even really a sad video. And all of a sudden I just feel like this weight kind of pressing down on my chest. And I'm like, what is going on? And I start bawling. And I'm like crying my eyes out watching this video by myself, like no one's in the locker room. And I'm like, what is going on? And I like finished the video and I'm like crying. And I text Olivia. I just remember that moment like so, so vividly still. Um, she was like, I'm in the fueling station. I'll come to the locker room. So she runs down the hall, knocks on the door and I open the door and we just like hug. And we're both crying and we're hugging each other. And it was that to me, was the first experience I had where I knew like, this is true and this is the life that I want to live. I was thinking about some of the experiences that happened and stuff and like I still get goosebumps when I think about like what happened and like 
the day of her baptism and like the first time she felt the Holy Ghost and just like all these things, it strengthened my testimony and like strengthened our friendship. Once I was baptized and found the church and the effect that it had on my life, I knew that BYU was a place I wanted to be because I knew it would help me progress as a person and not just a player. And a big reason why I felt comfortable coming here was I played for Heather in Japan back in 2019 um, for two weeks with Heather Knighting was actually on the team and it was just the best experience and I just, I hold those memories so near to me all the time because it was such an eye-opening experience to play volleyball in a different country but the memories that I made with my teammates and the coaches and I just felt like I had this really personable connection with Heather. One night after dinner we were walking back to our hotel and she told me that two weeks previous to our trip in Japan she was baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I spun my head around and I said what? And she said she was baptized and so she was open and vulnerable and told me her conversion story, was able to connect with her about her baptism and it was really special to hear her conversion story and you could see the light in her eyes, you could see how happy she was and uh, that, that started you know, the good connection that we have. She fulfilled her commitment to Utah. I said, hey, it's a good program, you got a good education out of it, what do you want to do now? You want to stay at Utah, Utah's never been to a Final Four like BYU has. So I kind of convinced her that maybe you want to stay close to you know what you know and where you're at and the values of what brings BYU and the state of Utah and the church brings to you because your values are there. And it was a no-brainer after that. To finish my four years at Utah and feel like this was the right path for me. I mean, I thought about going pro after this spring season. I thought about staying at Utah. I thought about even just being done with volleyball and just getting a real job. None of those really brought me the peace that I felt if I came to BYU. Her faith is so strong now. Being here at the at BYU is just, it's a whole new dynamic. She's so happy. I have friends, family that see her on TV and just say how happy she is playing on this team. She's just thriving now and never complaining about going to practice or anything. So it's just a great feeling. The neat thing about Kenzie is she is this experienced player who's coachable and wants to learn. She's in the gym every day wanting feedback and she wants to get better. And she's got this little bit of time left here at BYU where she's enjoying every single moment, every practice, every match, every road trip. You can see the excitement in her eyes for what she wants to do with BYU Volleyball and the goals that she has with the girls on our team. The happiness that I've felt with this team and these coaches and the friends that I've made here and the experiences that I've had, like. I wish my whole life felt like that, you know, but um, I know I had to go through what I had to go through for a reason. Kenzie was a huge part of another Sweet 16 run for BYU women's volleyball, which in large part has become the status quo. We are spoiled as BYU fans. We'll have more from BYU volleyball coming up when this Deep Blue special continues with a set of sisters that just won't give up. Welcome back to this BYU TV sports special. We call it Deep Blue. And we'll stay with the volleyball theme and focus on an All-American and her sister who hail from Idaho. They are a legacy family. The Bauer sisters just refuse to give up. And that's not just on the court. There is more than meets the eye with this renaissance group of young women. 
I used to be a setter and been a setter for a couple years now and then after maybe sixth, seventh grade, I've had really bad knee issues. After getting an MRI, I got a phone call in eighth grade saying, hey, you need to get off your knee. You're gonna be using crutches and getting surgery. So I found that out and that kind of changed my role as a volleyball player. I then became a libero and playing back row because that's all I can do. You know, I used to be an outside hitter and the funny thing about this is I always want to be like my mom. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna be this big, massive outside hitter. Like, yeah, I cannot wait. When I grow tall, like, yeah. Didn't grow tall, let's just say like the height got passed down somewhere else. So I was a hitter, Morgan was a setter, but when Morgan went through her really bad knee surgeries, I took over this setting position and it's been my, my position ever since. My children are very competitive, um, but it's a genuine thing within all of my daughters. They want the best for each other. It's kind of like that balancing act as a mom that we try to help our kids have that soft heart but your sister comes first, you know, and I know that sounds kind of crazy and sometimes we have to put our egos down and our pride, but to see Morgan do it is, is really special. One of the coolest things about Morgan through the recruiting process was you could feel how genuine she was. You could feel that she genuinely cared about you as a person. She would ask how I was doing all the time and she'll do that to this day. Morgan is the best support system ever. I'm so grateful for Morgan. We always want to do everything together, whether that's play volleyball or go hunting and fishing, you know, because we just love spending time with each other. I think I made a decision early on, being a dad of daughters, that I was going to just, I was going to interact with my, my daughters the same way I would if, 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 if they were boys. So my girls go to football games with me, we go fishing and, and, and hunting together. We, we do all the things that, that I, I would do otherwise. Fishing is not really like you talk all the time, you have this connection to nature and that connection of just you figure out who you are even more being able to think more and think about what I can do better as a person I think that's pretty cool we're so integrated with volleyball and we're always playing volleyball so much we love taking time off and just to go outside and outdoors and in nature and just take a deep breath and relax and take time for ourselves my goal as a mom slash coach was to do the best job of just training them and get them to be the best athletes they can be and best people they can be and to see them have that opportunity that I had because I, I know how, how special BYU was for me and for Danny. Um, and I, I for sure wanted that for them. They understand how special BYU is but we also expose them to other schools so they can evaluate and, and make a decision for their own because I think the one thing that I think Caroline and I both believe in is every child has to make their own decision. BYU's always been my dream school. I was so pumped when Heather um, called me and you know offered me that spot. I, was, I, I took it right on the spot. I was like, heck yeah, I'm down. When we offered her a spot on our team, she committed on the spot. She said yes and I said, are you sure you don't want to talk it over with your parents and get back to me? And she said, no, Heather. I know what I want, I want to be a BYU Cougar. She knew from the very second that this is where she wanted to be. And so no, it doesn't surprise me one bit that she answered on the spot. I would have liked to have been a little bit a part of the process, a little bit, but no, I, I think it's cool. I got here a little bit earlier than she did and it was like the first time we were truly separated and it was the weirdest feeling. But now that she's here, it's, been a lot better. 
They've always been so, 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 so very close. In fact, when Whitney made the decision to, to reclassify and skip her senior and be there, I think her, her social media post was, ah, you know, Morgan, you can't get too far away from me. I graduated a year early from high school, so I skipped my senior year because I wanted to come play with Mo and the 2018 team because they were so amazing, they were so successful, and Heather just got done being named um, head coach of the year, nationally head coach of the year, you know, and so, you know, I was so quick to say, like, Heather, I'm coming early, I'm coming to you early. I don't remember there ever being apart, let's just put it that way. So, um, for the fact that they can play to, uh, at BYU together is, is very special. I'm definitely the luckiest setter, especially this year. I have so many weapons. It makes my job a lot easier because I'm like, who do I get to set this time? Whitney has a great feel for the game, so she understands the situation, she understands the distribution. She's continuing to develop th that feel as well for who needs the ball and when. I'm just lucky to experience what she kind of experiences and like soak it up from her and like steal some of her energy because it's contagious. To be around Whitney and Morgan and their growth from little teenagers to being in college and, and being able to be adults has been pretty cool. I've seen their maturation process, I've seen their communication, their relationships, their skill levels, everything rise, and it's pretty cool. I, I love the fact that I get to sit back and watch these kids and watch the BYU coaches kind of take the, the <laughs> take the ropes, I guess, so to speak, but I'm, it's just really neat to see them have the opportunity to play together and have the, the BYU experience all together. It's, it's really special. Coming up on this Deep Blue special, we take a look at a set of brothers. Not technically, but very much feels that way as we look at the special bond between Kalani and Fessy Satake. It's well beyond football. Stay with us. We're about to wrap up this Deep Blue special, but not before we take a look and a close one at the brotherhood between BYU head football coach Kalani Satake and one of his offensive gurus, Fessy Satake. They are not brothers, but they feel very much like that. And the backstory will help you understand why that bond runs so deep. This is Deep Blue with Kalani and Fessy Satake. So when you look at the stadium, like, I can't believe we get to call plays here, bro. Yeah. Your mom is in heaven watching yeah. every game, probably trying to help out as much as she can. <laughs> We're at her place. She loves the most. When my parents split, um, I was six years old around the time, and so we, me and my siblings, moved from home to home. We're different places, from my grandpa to aunties, and luckily, you know, my uncle Mancella and uh, my auntie Lynette, that's our Fessy's parents, were able to help basically co-parent with my dad and help take care of us. We didn't have. Uh, you know, maternal presence. And so having Lynette be that for us was huge. Tom had his four and I had my two then at the time they arrived. So there were six kids. We were so young when we all lived together, but we, and they never let us forget that, you know, as we got older, you're my brother, you're my sister, your mom took care of us, your mom's our mom. We had a rough time dealing with my parents' divorce and my mom not being around, and, and so it was hard for us, and she easily moved into that role and embraced it. That was one of those moments where I felt really broken, and I felt like um, 
she was an answer to, to my prayers. In my relationship with Lynette, I learned early that her mother had some kind of a rare illness. And I didn't know that it was something that could be passed down, you know, I had no idea. To everybody else, it would be hard to notice the changes because they were very subtle things. So unless you knew her really well, as it progresses, it's pretty obvious. You can't even have a conversation. They thought that it was something like early onset Alzheimer's. It wasn't until my sister started developing the same symptoms about four years ago. It's a simple blood test to find out that she has a genetic mutation. She has a disease called prion disease. You talk about a, a, a fantastic personality and then Prions just hit and it was such an early age for her where she just became forgetful and then just some of the little things, her mind started to slip and it's, it's not recognizing her kids. Not rem remembering her name. Um, the disease really just robs you of everything. All of the activities that you can do for yourself that we maybe take for granted. All I knew was taking care of my mom. My sisters would bathe her and, you know, brush her hair in the morning, and I would, you know, help feed her and then walk her out to the van that would then take her to the rest home throughout the day because us, our children, her caregivers were going to school. That was just our whole life. That's how I knew my mom, is, is, is that she was our mom, but she, we were taking care of her. And Fessy was probably about you know, seven or eight years old when it started to get really bad like that. And Fessy was just our little runt brother that loved to make her laugh. It brought a lot of, it brought a lot of joy into the house. I felt like he was robbed of, of a wonderful mother. And um, I thought it was important that I, I do my best um, to show him how she, she blessed me. And so that's been, uh, <clears throat> that's what I've tried to do for him and his siblings. Um, try to do the best I can of, of teaching them some of the lessons that she taught us. And most of it was just pure kindness and just such a sweet person, um, even when we weren't being the best. You look at a disciple of Christ, I think she's a perfect example of it. I am just so grateful because if Galani and his siblings didn't have that experience, we wouldn't have had anybody to be able to tell us the kind of mom she was, the kind of mom she wanted to be and could have been had the disease not taken her. I'm so grateful for that. I'm here because of because of you and TJ. You guys gave me something that I was never able to get from my mom, from Lynette. And she gave you guys something that you guys were never able to get. And I think, you know, Lynette's the connecting piece to that. She must be so happy, you know, to see them being able to work together and coach together at BYU. I mean, she really did love that school. Everyone needs an escape sometimes, and everyone's is, everyone's is different. And I think a lot of, at that time, a lot of my mom's escapes was, was BYU football. And that, I mean, I, I wasn't there, but you read the, the, the entries, you bring it to life. 
the image of you sitting next to her and, and listening to a game compared to now, like you and I on the sideline being involved is just, it's, it's crazy how you can go from, from one end to the other like that. You know, and all the things that have happened in between and the sacrifices to connect those two images, it's, it's divine. This is not a coincidence. Think of all the wonderful people that have stepped foot on that grass and that have sat in these stands. And all of them have a wonderful story to tell. And it's an honor for us to look at your mom, my aunt, our grandfather, our, all our families. You look at everything that's happened and, and where we're at now. And how can you not be uh, thankful, but just mindful for all the hard work that people have made for us to be here in these seats. In the grand scheme of things, that we're all connected through a game of football. Our stories are not any different than a lot of others. It just happens that we get to call plays on Saturday. But when it all comes down to it, we're all fans. We're all fans of this wonderful place that, that changes people's. Combine that with the gospel, it's even better. It becomes eternal. I think that's going to be one of my first questions I ask her in the next life is, I never had a conversation with her. I never got to, you know, see, see certain emotions out of her, but just kind of ask her, what do you think, Mom? How was it from your seat? Did you enjoy it? We have unfortunately run out of time on this amazing Deep Blue special, but I have great news. You can find more of these uplifting and heartwarming stories at any time you like on the BYU TV app. For now, I'm Spencer Linton. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.